So I wanted to start us out a little bit differently here by asking you to consider something or think about something. So someone once asked me the question, what was your dinner table like growing up? And what did it say about your family's like, values, your family of origins values, if anything? And so I'm going to start by inviting you to just think about your own table, either the one that you had as a kid or maybe the one that you have now. And I'll give you, I'll give you a minute in just a second, but here are a few prompts, a few things to sort of think about with it. What shape was the table? Was it round? Was it rectangle? Did you even sit at a table? Did people have designated seats, whether that was formal or informal? Did you eat family style, buffet style? Did you eat with silverware, chopsticks, with your hands? Who cooked? Who served? Who cleaned? Who was invited to dinner? Like, did you have sort of a rotation of people who were always in and out of the house, or was it a little bit more like just your family? What was the conversation like? Was it something that fostered intimacy, or was it something that felt a little bit more tense? Were kids allowed to talk? Did you eat fast, or did you linger? Right, so some of the things to think about. So just take maybe, maybe 30 seconds here and just kind of think about your own family. be something to even chew on a little bit later. I felt like the more I kind of considered various aspects of my own, I was like, oh yeah, that did kind of say something about who we were. And you know, dinner tables are universal, and they reflect these unwritten cultural and sort of family behavioral codes that we have and that we learn. Well, Jesus sometimes talked about the kingdom of God as being like a giant family dinner table. And in doing that, I think he's trying to show us some of the values then that are important to God in, this, in that space. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit by looking at Luke chapter 14 in some depth this morning. And that story that we're looking at starts out like this. So one day, Jesus was having dinner at the home of a respected religious leader. And this teacher, it was actually a teacher, was a member of an elite group of leaders who served as a sort of like supreme court in Jesus's day. Now, Supreme Court is definitely not a perfect analogy, but we can kind of take it to understand that this was the home of someone who was like part of the upper crust of the religious elite who was also part of the judicial system of his day. And it was the Sabbath, so this was an evening to come to just rest and enjoy the company of other people. And then as was the custom, these men, they were sitting around or they were reclining at a low table and they were just eating and talking and where they reclined or sat in relation to the host was like indicative of their status in comparison to the host. Right? So the closer you were sitting to the person who was giving the party, the more important you were. And the further away you were sitting, the less important. There also was this like unwritten rule that people who had significantly lower social status just wouldn't get an invitation to gatherings like this, in part because they couldn't return the favor. Right, so it's a little bit of like an honor-shame culture thing, right? They couldn't return the favor, so you wouldn't even get an invite. So Jesus is in this space, and he looks around at these members of the upper echelons of religious society, and he says a couple of things to them. 
right? And the first thing that he says is, he says, you know, when you come to dinners like this, instead of like jockeying for the best seats, you really should come in and take like the lowliest seat and you'll be much more, you'll like find much more honor if the host then asks you to move up than like playing these sort of games of trying to decide who's more important. And that'll bring you far more honor than this like status game. And as I was reading through this, I thought, you know, it kind of reminds me of like some members of Congress today who are just like trying to like jockey for like who can get the most attention within their party. It's a little like Jesus going in and like, just like stop that game, just like do the job. Right? And if you're actually doing the job well, you'll have far more honor than, than this like attention game. So it's like, let's reduce the rivalry. Let's not maybe think so highly of ourselves. The second thing that Jesus said was directed right at the host. And he said to the man, look, you're going to be more blessed if you invite people who can't return the favor, the poor, the sick, the outcasts. And in doing this, you'll be repaid by God. Right? And so Jesus is pointing out some values that are being displayed here that goes against what he perceives the kingdom of God to be, right? So he's observing rivalry, he's observing this lack of humility that's on display and this kind of gatekeeping over who's allowed to be in the space participating in the conversation. And then he's challenging his colleagues to consider what it is that they're manifesting here. There's a, a classic scholar, Dr. Sarah Rudin. She notes that this, this kind of hierarchical seating is well established and it's really well depicted in Roman sources, which is her speciality. And so I've got a quote here, and I think I sent it to the Zoomies as well. She says, you know, the, the segmentation of the guests apparently made it easier for Roman hosts to serve food and drink of sharply different quality according to the guests' importance, end quote. So it's possible here that Jesus is critiquing how some of the religious teachers had like, adopted Roman ways of socializing that he found problematic, right? And so this teacher who was probably a member of the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin were sometimes um, a little bit more sympathetic or seemed to be more sympathetic to the Roman occupiers because they were trying to govern, right, under and alongside their oppressive rulers. And so it could be Jesus kind of saying, look, I don't like how some of us are becoming a little bit like our oppressors. Right? We're, we're called to be different than this. Let, let, let's not adopt their ways of doing things. Now, I'm going to pause there because, as you know, whenever I talk about Jesus, especially when he's shown like talking to his fellow like religious leaders, I want to iterate, Jesus was not a Christian. Jesus was a Jewish man critiquing within his own faith tradition. Right? It's not like we're telling a story about a Christian leader who's saying, if you come follow me, we're going to be way different than this other group of people. That is not at all what's going on. This is him critiquing his fellow colleagues in the way that we Christians sometimes critique our own fellow colleagues when we think that they're missing the mark, right? So I'm going to say this every time from the pulpit till you get to the point where you're like, okay, Emily, I've heard this, I know, but we share a space, right, with our friends from TBE here, and we just want to make sure that we're being extra careful not to, like, reinforce the anti-Semitic readings and teachings that have gone on um, in Christianity. And so we just want to remember there were lots of other Jewish religious teachers who would have agreed with Jesus, right? So this is a particular moment in a particular group. So Jesus is at this table, and he's just pointed out these values, right, that he's seen on display. But his colleagues, either they don't get it, or maybe they're a little bit irritated by him pointing it out. I suspect the latter. And so one of them pipes up with this thing that sounds really weird. And he says, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Like, okay. And by Jesus' response, I just, it doesn't seem like he was being like, amen. It's kind of like, okay, Jesus, this is awkward. 
And so Jesus responds to this, this little awkward encounter by telling this parable. And this parable is often called the parable of the great banquet. And it's recorded in Luke 14. And I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, I, I forgot to actually make a printout for those of you in the room. Those of you on screen, I think it's, it's in the chat. Jesus said, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. Right? So he's at, a, he's at a dinner table telling a story about a dinner table. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, look, I just bought a field and I have to go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, look, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I've got to go try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, look, I just got married. Please excuse me, I can't come. And then the servant came back and reported that to the owner. And the owner of the house that said became angry and he ordered his servant, he said, go quickly to the streets and the alleys and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. We've got an escape artist over here. <laughs> then the owner said, go out to the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Right, so in our American culture, there are usually two invitations to like a big formal dinner. Right? We're talking like a wedding or to maybe a graduation party if you're serving some kind of meal. Right? First, you send out like a save the date. Right? You send it word of mouth, maybe a text, maybe an evite or an email. And then when people arrive at our homes or maybe they come to the wedding venues, we have them like, you know, mingle for a bit. Rachel and I were just at a wedding of Austin and Victoria in our, uh, in our congregation a month ago, and they had this lovely cocktail hour between dinner, right? And then the hosts come in, and then you have like the second invitation, and dinner is served. You know, come, everything is now ready. That's the second invite. Um, and then everybody can be seated. And so those two, there are also those two invites, I think, in the passage that we read or in the story that Jesus was telling people, right? It starts by saying, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests, right? That's the first invite. That's like the save the date. Went out and told everybody. And that's then followed by, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to go tell all those who had been invited, come, everything's now ready, right? So that's the, the second invite. That's the like, come to the dinner table, everything is now ready to be served. And it's at that point, right, at that second invite, that the guests start to make excuses about why they can't come. Right? It would be a little bit like maybe people are standing in your living room ready to have supper. Maybe you've just served them a nice drink. And then they turn to you, the host, and they start coming up with kind of really bad or insulting reasons that they have to leave before you serve them. Right? So the first one, it would be like they said, look, I just bought a house that I haven't looked at, so I have to go see it. Right? Nobody does that. You always look at a house before you buy it, unless you're in like the crazy Ann Arbor marketplace right now, where maybe you would put an offering before you see it. But almost everybody looks at a house before you buy it. And in the Middle East, farmable land like this field has always been at a premium, and there's a long process to buy it. So before you like dish out that kind of money, you would have spent weeks or even months like looking at the land, looking at the soil, looking at the lighting at the different seasons to see what the quality is. You wouldn't purchase it and then go look at it. So that man who says, I just bought a field, I have to go see it, please excuse me, is being disingenuous, right? That's meant to be a, an insult. And the same thing with the guy who just bought five new oxen. So according to a couple of commentaries, this 
third man, the one who said that he just got married, is actually being like really offensive in this context. And essentially what he's saying is, look, I've got a new wife and I gotta go do, you know, married things with her, right? There's like some innuendo that's going on in the story, which might not cause us to bat much of an eye, but it was considered crass to insinuate such a thing in front of a bunch of, you know, a bunch of people, especially in a more formal gathering. In honor shame cultures, um, there's a way of getting out of things without being bluntly rude, right? And so you don't want to cause people to lose face. And so in Jesus' story, what we are seeing is him depicting people who are being blunt and rude and like deliberately insulting. And so that's why in his story, the host is, of course, angry, right? It's like this deep, angry response. But he doesn't need to save face with these rude men. Instead, he tells his servant to go out and to make sure that everyone including the people of low status, know they're invited. And the servant says, I already did that. I told them, right? With the first invite, I did that. There's still room. And then the owner says, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. Now that verse that says, make them come in, has been misused by some Christians over the years, taken to mean that we should like compel people by force to come dine at like the Jesus table. I don't think that's what it means. I think that when that first invitation went out, only the people who thought that they would be acceptable at the dinner table, or like of somebody who was like rich and could afford this like lavish banquet and this wine, only the ones who have high social status would assume that they had actually been invited. And so, um, those of the same, of the lower social status would have assumed that they weren't. Right, the poor and the unclean and the outcast would have thought, this isn't for me. And so those um, who couldn't return the favor were not coming. But the servant is then sent out again to make sure that they know they are invited. And in fact, I think it could be read as the reason that the wealthier people decided to leave in the first place. I think that's a possible reading of Jesus' story. That maybe they got there and they were mad because the poor had been invited in. Right? Even if they didn't come at first, the fact that they were invited might have been an affront to their status. And so the owner says, go out, grab the outcast by the hand, and tell them, like, no, it's really true. It's good news. You are invited to eat good food and drink good wine and celebrate together as equals at this banquet. Come and eat. Your presence is wanted. So you can probably feel the tension of Jesus as he is telling this story at a, at a little banquet feast where he's been critiquing their status-seeking, and he's sitting there among all these religious teachers, and he's essentially saying, look, the kingdom of God is for the humble. It's for everybody, regardless of their status. Everybody is welcome at this table, right? These are the values of God's banquet table. And you can be offended about that if you want. So you can walk away and be rude and decide that you don't want to participate. But the kingdom of God is for everyone. It's for gay, it's for straight, it's for people of all races and cultures and ethnicities. It's for all genders. It's for the educated as well as the uneducated. It's for the old, it's for the young. It's for the doubters, it's for the believers, it's for the unsure. They're all invited. And some people think that they're not invited because the social rules have communicated otherwise to them. But Jesus just says, look, I want my house to be full. Like, I want all of these people welcome in this space. 
With our meditation, I'm actually, it's a little bit of a continuation of the sermon. Um, I'm going to invite us to just, you know, you can close your eyes. I will read this passage. It's actually from Proverbs chapter 9. And before I read it, I just want to make mention that, like, Jesus is sitting among religious teachers, right? And he's a religious teacher himself who would have known the Proverbs and probably would have known the echoes of this. And so this is a proverb also about another person hosting a banquet, only it's gender-swapped. It's Lady Wisdom, who's a woman throwing this banquet. And so as we read this, um, it seems to me that Jesus is, is pulling a little bit of the echo of this story for the people that he's sitting with in that room. Let's listen to it. Wisdom has built her house. She's made it strong with seven columns, and she's cooked meat and mixed wine and put food on the table. She sent her servant girls to announce from the highest hill on the city. Whoever needs instruction, come. She invites the simple people and says, come, eat my food and drink the wine that I've prepared. Leave your old foolish ways and live. Advance along the path of understanding. I'm going to read that one more time because I think Jesus was deliberately paralleling this. Wisdom has built her house. She's made it strong with seven columns. She cooked meat and she mixed wine and she put food on a table. She sent her servant girls to announce from the highest hill in the city, whoever needs instruction, come. She invites all the simple people and says, come, eat my food, drink the wine I've prepared, leave your old foolish ways and live. Advance along the path of understanding. Let's just take maybe 30 seconds here and just, let's just meditate on that, like, invitation to advance along the path of understanding that the Proverbs invites us to. Jesus, help us to learn from the values that you were trying to teach about um, what's going on with the kingdom of God and how that might clash with some of our instincts. I ask that you would help us to reduce any um, instinct for rivalry, for self-promotion in ourselves. Um, on the other end, maybe we're people who would assume that we weren't invited. I ask that you would help us to know your deep love and your deep acceptance at this table, in this space, regardless of who we are or where we are in our faith journey. We thank you that you've made such a lavish um, welcome family for us and that there is a place for every single person in this family of God. Help us to learn, help us to advance along this path of wisdom. In your name we pray. Amen.